Welcome to the Bike Life Podcast by Warm Showers Foundation, where we will be sharing knowledge, experience, tools, and stories of touring cyclists and hosts from around the world. I'm Tavar Lee, the woman behind the scenes at Warm Showers Foundation, the leading platform for cyclists looking for hosts and to connect with a passionate international community. Find out more by visiting us at warmshowers.org. Although you may have found us on any of your favorite listening apps, make sure you download the Himalaya app and follow us there to stay informed of when new episodes air, and we will be offering special episodes and goodies on the Himalaya app only, and it's free, and it can be accessed from anywhere in the world, and it will allow you to curate your own favorite playlist. Now, let's start the show. This podcast is brought to you by bikeflights.com, a bicycle shipping service for cyclists. We all look forward to the time when we are able to resume welcoming fellow cyclists into our homes and shipping bikes for travel. In the meantime, bikeflights.com can help you ship your spare bikes, trainers, wheels, and gear to friends or family members so they can commute and exercise too while they are physical distancing. So stay home and arrange a pickup directly from your house. Visit bikeflights.com forward slash warm showers for more information. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Bike Life, where we are here to share stories of touring cyclists and their experiences around the world. And today is going to be amazing. You guys are going to absolutely love meeting Caroline Burroughs because she often tours solo. And although she uses a combination of places to stay while she tours, she focuses her tours around locations that have to do with literature and poetry. And she is a genuinely interested and educational type of soul. And she she carries this energy with her of wanting to be outside and feel the joy of meeting new people. And one thing that I I really like that Caroline said is that it's a way for her to connect with other people while she's touring. And that that felt really special. So welcome to the show, Caroline. Hi, pleased to be here. (laughs) I I, there's a part of, you know, we have a little application um, that you sent in for the show. And I've a couple of times read this one section that says that you find that cycling is a really unifying activity. And I love that, that cycling is a unifying activity. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it just takes away all kind of artifice because we're all sort of, we all do dress kind of in a bit of a uniform, really. Um, So you can't tell if someone is a teacher or a milkman or a barista or a barrister, which I get confused sometimes and think someone serves (laughs) coffee when actually they're serving the law. Um, (laughs) So... I just, I just love it for that. That it, it just becomes about where you're cycling and who you're cycling with, and you, and people end up chatting out on group rides. And the other thing I find really unifying about it is I, I go on tours in groups, and sometimes a lot of the time actually on my own, and I'm never really alone because people always want to talk to a lone cyclist and ask where they're going and what what you're doing and and what you've seen and then it's really nice as well when I get sort of older generations coming up that don't ride anymore like old gents that are sort of 80 or 90 and they just want to chat about how they've used to cycle and you sort of have a nice repartee what's the word repartee with them or nice conversation with them so it's just really friendly you know amongst the cyclists it's obviously 
the odd lone crazy motorist that tries to ruin the day but that's you know 99.9% of people are lovely it's just that odd lone one but I just find cyclists are a chatty bunch you know they just Mm -hmm. like being outside and and talking about cake and where's the next coffee so it's good Mm. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Well, I definitely felt, I I feel that in you and I appreciate you taking the time to come on our show and talk about your experience and tell us where you're from, where are you located? All right, so I've got a bit of a Scottish accent because I'm originally from up there, but I've lived sort of all over the UK really. So at the moment I'm living in the northwest of England in a place called Lancaster, um, which is near the coast. It's sort of about an hour from Manchester and Liverpool, a bit further north. Um, not far from Scotland's borders, but I've also lived in Bristol before I came here for a few years, mm-hmm. which is a fab city. And uh, before that, I was in London for about 18 years. So I'm sort of all around, keep traveling around the UK, really. Nice. But nice. originally and from where, Scotland, yeah. Because you have that beautiful accent, so that's why I had to ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, soft, um, it's soft now, so you can understand it. If it had been about 25 years ago, you might be asking me to repeat everything a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was was heavier. Um, so... Like, talk to me about your touring. Like, where where have you toured? Let's hear some of your experiences of where you've toured. And, of course, we want to talk about your Wilfred Owen cycle tour. But um, tell us a little bit about your touring history. Okay. So, um, I've always had a bike. And my granddad was really, really heavily into cycling. He, he passed away this year um, a couple of months ago, age 93. But... He was really lean and fit all his life cycling till he was in his late 80s. So I always kind of had cycling as a thing that people did. It, it wasn't an alien thing. Um, so I always had a bike to commute with, but it was really when I was sort of in my early 30s that I started touring. So the first tour I did was on my own, and I just sort of had this attitude that because people kept asking me, aren't you afraid cycling on your own? And I thought, well, people don't know if I'm just cycling five miles up the road or 60 nobody knew mm. nobody knows the difference so I kind of had that for confidence and I did a thing that I called the tour de family instead of the tour de France so I went from London <laughs> to Glasgow over about I don't know 10 days or something and I visited as many relatives as I could some of them that I hadn't seen for a very long time mm. and it was really nice again because it kind of connected family up that hadn't spoken for a while just because you drift apart and um and I got four roast dinners as well in a week. Everyone kept asking, what do you want for dinner? And, they, and then they cooked these amazing meals for me, and which I really needed because I wasn't, I didn't quite know what I was letting myself in for on that first tour, mm-hmm. you know, with packing and hillwise. And I'd overestimated everything a bit, but I still had a great time. And then from that, I sort of um, would go on group tours with uh, some of the bigger companies just for confidence. Like I went over to Cuba with a group tour and I remember I was single at the time and I'd been single quite a while and it took, it was quite expensive. I had to save up for it, but I justified it by calling it my honeymoon that I was taking myself on it. Um, <laughs> with a bike. I love that. So, and uh, I love it. that has been, yeah, that's had, I mean, it's the longest relationship, the most reliable one with the bike, isn't it? So, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Friend, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, I, you know, I'm sure it's the same for men and women. We all love our bikes uh, and they are more reliable. But, um, and then from 
that. I would go across on tours. I've been over to Brittany and France a couple of times, once with the Bristol Club, which was amazing. Um, and then I went cycling around with the Bristol group. And then my friend was getting married in France. So I left them all after a week and cycled onwards to go to my friend's wedding. And that was that felt quite special, cycling across mm-hmm. France to see my mate get married. Um, and I took myself over to Argentina as well at one point for three months with my bike. And uh, I went to language school first because I really could only ask for very basic things in Spanish. So I thought I needed the language because I was going to go off on my own on my bike again. So I had about two months of language, learning how to understand directions when they were given back to me, not just asking for directions and um, and cycle around some of the Argentina on my own. So I was sort of on a little bit of a Che Guevara crush at that point. So I wanted to see where he'd grown up as a kid and I'd been to Mexico to see before to see where he'd gone over with the boat over to Cuba with Fidel Castro and I'd been to Cuba as well so I was on a little bit of a a Che Guevara moment there that took me on my Mm -hmm. bike traveling around and that was quite educational really because it explained a lot more about politics to me than I had a notion of so that was wonderful um and again, I was just on my own and people would say, aren't you scared? But I met so many wonderful, friendly, helpful people out on my bike. You know, it's just, I remember people cheering me going up a hill once and then waiting at the top of this, well, it was a little mountain, but they waited at the top to check I got there okay. And just, you know, people interacting in friendly, funny ways. And then since then, one of the tours I did here, which I really enjoyed was I did a degree as an adult student, so I was doing evening classes to make up a degree while I was working. And um, a lot of the books I had to study, so like Jane Eyre, Charlotte Bronte, um, Dracula, um, some of Dracula as well, and some books about Wilfred Owen from the First World War, I noticed they were all set in the north of England. So once I finished that degree course and got my degree I did a tour across the north of England and I called it from Jania to Dracula and I was hmm. visiting all the locations of the books and the authors and more graveyards and um, there's always a graveyard involved to see <laughs> someone who's you know died a long time ago but um but it's literary so I was sort of it was really interesting because I was going over and through the landscapes of things like Wuthering Heights the landscape's really important in the novel and it makes up the characters as well. It affects how the characters behave, sort of dark and moody and windy and um, difficult. And the landscape's very difficult as well, but it was interesting travelling through it because then it gave me an insight into Charlotte and Anne and Emily Bronte growing up in that sort of wild landscape and quite Mm. bleak, some of it, and how it influenced the books. So it was almost like a... I call it like virtual reality sometimes. Mm. I'm off in my bike, but there's a load of stories going on around as well. Mm, so, that's beautiful. I love it. So um, I gave a, it was, and it's really good as well because things happen just because if you do something you love thing, and you do it genuinely, then it, gen- it seems to lead to something as well. So I did that tour because I enjoyed my degree and I love the books and I like cycling. So it's combining two interests but then over the years I sort of worked on writing about it and I used to work in a language school and we had to give presentations to the language students so I worked on it to kind of tell the students about English novels 
because a lot of we get a lot of South Korean students and they all knew the Brontes. They get taught the Brontes in their school syllabus. Um, and then because of that, I developed it and then eventually worked on it and it got better and I got in touch with a cycle touring festival that happens over in the UK and ended up giving a talk about it at the cycle festival and it's just sort of a and it just made me meet more cyclists that like touring and then everyone's chatting and sharing the different attitudes and towards cycling and why they love cycling and how they do it and meeting other cyclists there for example there was one guy that he was trying to do all the high peaks in the UK. So he was cycling to all the climbing peaks and his his cycling was combined with climbing. And I just mm-hmm. find it really interesting that people have interest in, in cycling's kind of facilitates it as well as, in, you know, they, it, it's got a, what they call it, a, a, what's that? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to draw a circle, to two circles, a Venn diagram, is yeah. it, that where they intersect? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I find I just find it it's a route into things. It's a route into so many things, cycling. It's not mm-hmm. just the landscape or the distance or how far and that's all good as well. But it's sort of everyone's got their own little flavour of cycling, which I really like. Do you think that also a big piece of that though is is being outside in being a part of nature. I mean, you're describing your experience of touring that is also very much related to the land that you're touring on, like the part of the planet that you're on holds something special for you. And um, I also feel like that is, that is part of our connection to cycling is part of our connection to earth. I think anything that, that takes you out of, I always live in cities Um mainly because of work um, and probably the culture as well. I like all the theatres and stuff. I think anything that encourages people to get outside and notice nature, it's just good for your mental health. I think that's Mm -hmm. one of the – that's probably why outdoor enthusiasts get so enthusiastic about it because indirectly you're in nature, which is just good for you. I mean, Mm -hmm. isn't it? It's in Japan, I think. I think in Japan they actually encourage you, the doctors, if you're unwell, to go tree bathing because the yeah. trees emit something that actually is soothing to your soul and it's good for your immune yeah. system. And I sort of, I've got, I, I quite often write poems about trees. I just love trees. I'm a bit of a tree hugger. Mm. Um, <laughs> I knew there was a reason why we got along so well. <laughs> I just love trees, but it's more just like I've got. There's a load of trees that I cycle along towards an estuary and they form a sort of arch above me it's almost like a church but I just feel soothed when I go through them and I sort of say hello like a bit of a maddie to the trees I sort of go hello trees and um but they just I just feel good but I think that is because it's it's getting more and more known that there is a wood wide web and the trees communicate and they you know they send resources to each other that's needed it's not it isn't just hippie nonsense if someone wants to write it off as that there's there's science behind it now that the trees are connected to each other as a little society. And I think getting out into the landscape and nature on a bike or walking, you notice everything and you take it slower and you, you start and the weather affects everything as well. You, you notice the weather and the benefit of the weather. So even when I'm getting absolutely drenched and wind blown, I do know that I'm on my bike still, I'm still outside and that, that, that nature needs it, the trees need the rain and I wouldn't get the beautiful landscape without the rain. So I know how 
connected and important it all is as opposed as opposed to I get confused when the when the weather forecast when I watch it on the news and they say oh it's going to be a bad day tomorrow and it's like well who's it bad for you know we need the plants to grow and we need the seeds to be blown across the land so I, I find it a bit of an odd thing to say and that that when people get outside they know it is just bad weather it's just it's bad weather but it's not negative weather you just need good waterproofs and overshoes if I've got good overshoes and waterproof socks on I'm fine that's the only time I get grumpy if I get wet feet but I've got the I've got the kit you know I've got the kit it's all right I I absolutely love the way that you just described that that is so profound and I offline, I'm going to talk to you about poems about trees because you know that I love to hang out with trees. Um, And I also think that a part of the trees too that we forget sometimes is that they are, they are the thing that grows on the planet that has the roots deepest into the earth, right? Their roots grow so deep into the Mm -hmm. planet that unless we manually dig holes, we don't have any other connection as deep into this planet as the roots do of trees. And I find that when you're around a tree, it has, it has knowledge for you and it can, um, it can hug you back. And so I just love that so much. I mean, you and I could, you and I could go into a totally different direction of this show if we wanted to, but we're not going to, we're going to stick to bike touring. Right. But, what- um, but I really, I really love the, the way that you said that about the weather too. That is, that's, those are, those are wise words. Well, I mean, what else can you do about it? You can't, you, you know, if you're a fair weather cyclist, that's fine as well, but you don't get that many fair days in the in Scotland or the northwest of England a lot of the time. So right. it's better to be out than not be out, really. And unless there's actual gale force winds or, you know, 60 mile per hour winds or something. Right. Now, let's take a moment to learn a little bit more about today's episode being brought to you by bikeflights.com a bicycle shipping service for cyclists. You'll enjoy fast delivery, great prices, and excellent service with every shipment. Select your shipment's delivery speed to suit your schedule and tap into their group buying power to get great rates. Throughout the shipping process, their support team, made up of fellow cyclists, works directly with their carrier's exclusive global operational team so that your shipment will arrive on time. Join the more than 700,000 cyclists who have used bikeflights.com to ship their bikes, wheels, and gear with confidence since 2009 and see how easy it is to book, manage, and track your shipments. Visit bikeflights.com forward slash warm showers today to find out more information and to book your shipment. Now back to the show. Well, tell us, let's start talking about your Wilford Owen tour. Okay, so I have a crush on a man who's over 100 years dead. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that because I think anyone, I think any other Wilfred Owen enthusiasts I meet um, have the same feeling about him. Um, So Wilfred Owen, in case people don't know, was was, uh, he was around in World War One and um, he was one of the war poets and he wrote a lot of poetry that's very simple and clear to understand the imagery that he's using in it, which I think is why it's so powerful. But it's also, he was very angry in his poetry. You can see how angry he is, not about fighting for his country because he went out twice and was killed the second time he went out and he didn't have to go out the second time because he'd been injured the first time and could have served from home. So he chose, he elected to go back out. 
but he was very angry about the propaganda of World War One, sort of shaming people with white feathers or telling young boys that it's brave to go and die for your country, which is what uh, Dolce it's Latin, Dolce et decorum est is about. So he was against the propaganda of the war machine, but he was for serving and protecting his country. So Wilfred Owen um, was born in a place called Birkenhead, which is near, sorry, he went to school in a place called Birkenhead, which is near Liverpool. And because I was living up in the Northwest, I saw that there was a Wilfred Owen museum. So I thought that's a day mm-hmm. cycle ride, I can get there. Um, and then it sort of kept growing. Um, so his birthplace is in Oswestry, which is on the Welsh borders. And there's also um, Shrewsbury, where his parents lived. Um, so I saw that a sort of triangle geographically was forming, a bit like the, the literary tour of the North I did. I sort of had the books and connected the dots, and I was doing the same with Wilfred Owen. So I worked it out that I could do a kind of mini tour of Wilfred Owen-related um, locations and it was just amazing again because Wilf, uh, Wilfred Owen is really loved by people and he's, his poems usually taught in school uh, at least the people at least know his name even if they're scared of poetry and poetry can mm-hmm. be quite scary as well sometimes because it's sometimes a bit overworthy but the thing about Wilfred Owen's poems is they're not they're given a message and they're given imagery which is clear and everyone can kind of picture what he's talking about so I did this tour and it was a combination of um, I stayed in youth hostels and I stayed with uh, a host family with warm showers in Oswestry and they lived across the park from the Wilfred Owen statue. So I was just mm-hmm. in seventh heaven and they knew about Wilfred Owen as well. And they owned a, they owned, um, a tiny theatre that one place and um, the Wilfred Owen Museum that, that I visited, the man had there had made a play about Wilfred Owen and had also performed in this other place in Oswestry. And then even the library in Oswestry had a Wilfred Owen cupboard, so I knew it existed. So I went in and asked the librarians and they went and unlocked this special cupboard that had these three big folders full of Wilfred Owen information. And then the librarian went away and she came back. Her name was Lou and she went, I've made some biscuits for a natter and chatter group. Would you like some biscuits? And then she said, I also made a Wilfred Owen cake when there was a bake-off and showed me this. Oh, my. And it was just, everything was just connecting up in such a lovely Mm -hmm. way. Um, And when I got to Shrewsbury, and Shrewsbury's quite sad because that's where Wilfred Owen was killed one week before the war ended, exactly one week before, and the news did not get to his mum and dad until the bells were actually ringing in Shrewsbury Abbey and they got the knock at the door with the telegram. So I think that's why he probably is known because he gets taught because of that, because of the poignancy of writing these poems and then being killed mm-hmm. one week before the war was over. So that started to feel a little bit sad towards the end when I was when I was nearing the end of the journey. But then I found there were all these there was this little map of Shrewsbury of all the houses he'd lived in. So I went and found my final house and um so I was standing outside people's houses, basically um, get asking mm. strangers to take pictures while people were inside having their tea and watching telly or whatever. And the odd Wilfred Owen fan pops up and gets their photo. But I asked one man for a photo right at the end and he went, oh, do you know there's Wilfred Owen documents in this um, in one of the Oxford or Cambridge universities? I was like, oh, God, I've got to cycle somewhere else now. So that's on my oh, list wow. of things to do. So 
things just keep connecting up because people were just very forthcoming with the information about him. Mm -hmm. So it was lovely as well because only knowing really about his poetry before and liking him for his poetry and also the sad story behind him, visiting where he was born and where he went to school and where his dad had worked and where his mum and dad had lived, it made him more of a real person for me and not just the war story. So that right. that was quite a nice thing to happen out of it all, that he wasn't just a soldier and a poet. He was also the school kid over here and his dad, you know, was on the trains, working at the train station. So it was nice to find out more about him that way and sort of, you know, make him more of a real person than just this sort of figurehead. So, and I love that you connected to so many people um, around the story, around his story too. Like you guys have, you guys have kept him alive. You brought him back alive and back to life. And I'm sure that the people that you connected with were thrilled to share their passion for this poet. Um, and so that's that's wonderful. That's that's literally an amazing story. Oh, thanks. I mean, it, it was he was in the literary um, the literary tour as well because I found. By accident on that, there's when I got to a place called Scarborough, which is where Pat Barker wrote a wrote part, little, sorry, Pat Barker is an author who wrote a lot of books about the World War One poets, but also with fictional mm -hmm. characters. It's called Faction. And some of the books were set in Scarborough. And when I cycled to Scarborough, it was actually to see Anne Bronte's grave. Um because mm. she died there from TB. And they thought they'd take her to the sea air to help cure her, but she died there instead. So she's the only sister not buried with the other Bronte sisters. Mm. But there was a map in the on by the overlooking the cliffs on the beach, and it had all the blue plaques, the special plaques of the of the of the good and the great around Scarborough. And one of them said Wilfred Owen. So I cycled off and found uh, the hotel where he'd written some of his poems when he was in between his two tours of duty, um, and. I was outside this faded Victoria, I think it was a Victoria hotel, outside this very faded Victorian hotel anyway, um, all chuffed that I'd found Wilfred Owen by accident. So it's just, I guess it's mm -hmm. what, you know, things come to you because you're looking for them, but you, you know, you start noticing things and they, it's just, what do they call it? Is it the law of attraction or something? Uh, there's synchronicities. Synchronicities. Synchronicities, yeah. yeah. And, and I, I, I believe you were led to those places. Like you, you, you were on a, a journey of learning. And I think that those things came to you because you were meant to find them. Yeah. I think just put, put the good vibes out there and hopefully, yeah. you know, um, you can get four roast dinners on a family <laughs> cycle tour yeah. or you can get Wilfred Owen popping up all over the place. Yeah, and I know that you wrote a poem after that mm -hmm. tour, and I would like to invite you for the last few minutes that we have of this podcast, if you would like to share that poem to close us off, that would be wonderful. Oh, I'd love to. That'd be great. Thanks. Um, so this is, a, this is the same information of that tour I've told you, but in poetry form, and hopefully not too scary poetry form. It's called A Wilfred Owen Odyssey, A Spring Cycling Offensive. My bike's fully loaded, my own pack mule, a pilgrimage of Wilfred Owen poetry, riding south between the Pennines and the Irish Sea, I set my sights for distant Liverpool. You can't miss it, says a man, I ask for directions. Casting his curse, I get lost different ways, till I skirt Leyland where tanks were once made. I'm relieved I've survived it through Preston. 
Spring lambs bounce around flat fields in the ribble, near two crows ganging up on a baby squirrel. The bee road takes me over six screaming lanes to a scouse bus honking with offensive disdain. In Birkenhead, a statue called Futility shows a man with his head in his hands who sat with a wreath of paper poppies in his lap. The bronze remains dull, although it's sunny. Expecting a veteran, I meet a musician who went to the B.I. Wilfred's old school. Only a wall remains where a cruel head caned kids for breaking archaic rules. In his Wealthmobile, he shows me locations. Did you know a dead famous poet lived there? The people living inside couldn't care. Then it's back to the Wilfred Owen Museum, hearing how he's adapted poetic rhythm into a Wilfred Owen musical. Near Chester, I rest in a cyclist's cafe, where a roadie shows me a safer greenway, past a cemetery where rows of soldiers fill, uniform graves standing to attention. Despite the forecast, there's miles of cold, wet stuff, but warm showers greet me at Oswestry from members of that cycling community. There's Wilf's birthplace, another statue, an exhibition, a plaque, a park in the church where he prayed. A Wilfred lemon and poppy seed cake was made by the librarian, second place in a bake-off. I wait by a country field as cows are unloaded. One runs bellowing, it's separated. And another truck is its baby calf. It's quieter when I reach city grass outside, Shrewsbury Abbey, whose bells when they were ringing war's end. That's when Wilfred's mum got news he died. At a pub B&B, I stop cycling. In the bath, the acoustics sound great being read. Wilfred Owen by Richard Burton on YouTube before bed. Thank you. Oh my gosh, that was lovely. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you. Thank you for joining the show. And I'm going to put the link to your YouTube channel so people can follow along with more of your literary sharings on YouTube. Um, I, will, I will add that into the show notes and we appreciate you joining the show. That's great. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. This Bike Life podcast was brought to you by BikeFlights.com, a bicycle shipping service for cyclists. We all look forward to the time when we're able to resume welcoming fellow cyclists into our homes and shipping bikes for travel. In the meantime, while we're all staying home, why not do some decluttering and sell your extra bikes, trainers, wheels, and gear online? Then use BikeFlights.com to ship them to their new owners. So stay safe and arrange for pickup directly from your house. Find out more by visiting bikeflights.com forward slash warm showers for more information. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoyed the show as much as we enjoyed making it. Don't forget to download the Himalaya app and follow us or wherever you are listening. Please leave us a rating and a review as it helps us reach more cyclists and hosts around the world. Visit us at warmshowers.org to become a part of our community or on Instagram at warmshowers underscore org. If you would like to be a guest on the show or submit a question, please make sure to email us at podcast at warmshowers.org.